So the ultimate goal is to destigmatize the gynecological anatomy. Mm. And the reason I'm doing that in the form of a museum is because museums are used by cultures and societies to kind of signpost what they think is important. So, for example, we have museums to our famous authors. We've got, you know, the Charles Dickens Museum, we've got the Florence Nightingale Museum. Um, we have museums to important industries like the Railway Museum and TfL Museum. We've got museums to important pieces of art and genres of art. So the fact that there's no vagina museum says something about what our society thinks about vaginas. And if we made one, we can say, hey, look, society is changing where we actually um, want to celebrate our bodies. We think our bodies deserve rights that we haven't had before and those rights yeah. need to be protected. So I think that's that's why I think the Vagina Museum needs to exist. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Florence Schechter has many strings to her bow. A science communicator, she works as a comedian, presenter, video producer, trainer, and is also building a vagina museum. In 2016, she enrolled in the Wellcome Trust-funded Talent Factory, a mentorship programme for emerging science communication talent in the UK. For the past two years, she has also sat on the Trajectory Ideas and Ambassadors Board of Cheltenham Science Festival, which advises on programming and strategy for the event every year. An accomplished TV and radio presenter as well as stage performer, Florence has been an expert contributor on the Science Channel's Engineering Catastrophes, a writer and presenter on the podcast Chemistry in its Element for the Royal Society of Chemistry, as well as voicing an explainer for the charity Eve Appeal. In 2017, she started a project to build the world's first bricks and mortar museum about the gynaecological anatomy and came highly commended in the Woman of the Future Awards in the Arts and Culture category for her work with the Vagina Museum. The museum plans to break the stigma and shame surrounding women's sexuality with exhibitions covering everything from anatomy and society to periods and sex. Intrigued, I caught up with Florence to find out more. I'm from London, born and bred here, second generation immigrant, but from my dad's side, from my mum's side, she's been here since, you know, 1700s or whatever. Part of being Jewish is it's very difficult to describe where you're from. Um, <laughs> so kind of everywhere and nowhere. Grew up in a quite an orthodox Jewish background, so like fairly conservative, but my parents were are surprisingly supportive of the Vagina Museum. Good. So, yeah, that's, I guess, a bit about me. What do your parents do? What are their backgrounds? Oh, yeah, my mum is a pharmacist and my dad is a musician. Because oh, so. you started off in science, right? You worked yes. as a science researcher. Um, a science communicator. Okay. I was never an actual researcher because okay. um, in my undergrad, I did a research project in my third year and I hated it. Mm. Oh, God, I hate the bench. I hate labs. They're just not a good place for me. Um, my personality just doesn't fit with it. <laughs> or is it too sterile? Or It's, um, 
it's the kind of repetitive loneliness, you know, especially biochemistry research, just like you're sitting at a bench all day doing mm. the same thing over and over again a hundred times because you have to get the data exactly right. And yeah, it has to be done that way, but that's just not something I want to do. Was that what you studied at uni? Or biochem, yeah. You did biochem. So you thought that's where your future lay? Not or? really, no. no. I applied for medicine first. I thought I was okay. going to be a doctor. Okay. Um, and I didn't get into medical school, so I did that as a backup. Okay, so going from science academia to... Mm-hmm. You worked as a TV researcher, is that right? Did you work on QI? Oh, yeah, I did work yeah. on QI. That was really fun. I was like an intern, so their researchers are called elves. So oh, I thought as an intern... very really cute, called, isn't it? It is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, they're called the QI elves. I think it's an adorable way that Stephen Fry used to like you know instead of it making really clinical mm. so I, I called myself a pixie I was a QI pixie and they were rebelling even then as well <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah and then obviously where you are now you are starting up a vagina museum indeed I am again take us take us <laughs> to the start of that when did the idea how did the idea come about what did you think or where, where did it come from essentially mm. and then the steps that you've taken to get to where you are now wow So it all started about two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. because, so the long version of the story is that, not too long, don't worry, (laughs) Um, is that I, uh, one of the things I did as a science communicator was I made videos and one of the videos I made was top 10 animal penises. Okay. Um, And it was really fun. I really enjoyed it. Are they quite different? Oh, hugely different. Oh my God. after the I suppose size-wise. Yeah. Oh no, but shape. Oh, the okay. way the processes by which they work. Echidnas have four penises. Dragonflies have spiky penises. Lucky um, echidnas. Water yeah. boatmen. I know, but they only use two of them at a time. They use they use two penises, <laughs> and the other two penises just like hang there. Because four would be too much. Really? Yeah, they, they don't use one because I think the only two fit into the two vaginas. I it's see. A whole oh, bit. I see. So the female kidneys have two vaginas. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. All marsupials as well have a three-branched vagina okay. as well. It's very. I could talk for hours about animal sex. It's, it's actually really interesting. Oh, it's great. Well, you should go watch my video. Um, <laughs> but I um, so I really enjoyed it. So I was like, oh, I should do a vagina version. Okay. And I went online to find some research, and there's actually much less animal research on vaginas i can talk about for ages why that is it's like a real it's not by accident that it's there's a re, there's a reason okay. that much less vaginas because you know there's this old sort of victorian idea that bled into science when evolutionary biology started mm. back in the 1800s that you know females are passive that because we're waiting for the right mate and the males they're all competing and they're trying to get the sexiest ladies and have sex as much as possible and the females were just like oh waiting waiting for the right. best penis to come along and so because of that Vaginas aren't interesting to scientists because they're like, oh, it's just a hole for animals to ejaculate in. So it's kind of a historical hangover then, almost, that because of women being the seen as the weaker sex yes. historically, yes. that's why there's not, like you say, when you go to research mm-hmm. animal penises and vaginas, there's more about penises than there is about vaginas. Yes. So that's why. Yes, exactly. It's interesting as well because like, when you started talking about it just now, I automatically went all the kind of jokey and funny. <laughs> do you find that people normally do that? Is that... The British way is it easier in different mm. countries? I mean, because we like, like we like to joke about it, but actually, yeah. it's science, right? Yeah. It's kind of a fundamental thing that men and women, you know, mm. have. So, is that weird for you? Or? Um, no. I mean, yes. In answer to your question, lots of people do react in this like kind of jokey, funny yeah. way, and they like giggle. And I actually really enjoy that because yeah, mm. it's totally funny, and like what I'm doing is very strange. So mm. I don't mind it when people laugh, but. I think the reason people are laughing is because it's a 
a topic that makes them uncomfortable. Yeah. And that's kind of the only way to handle that. Like to a cope, cope with it. Coping yeah. mechanism. Yeah, exactly. I think definitely it happens more in Britain because we've got this kind of like carry on culture, you know, like, yeah. oh, Slap, oh, slapstick. <laughs> yeah. Tums, yeah. Exactly, which I think some other cultures don't have. Mm. But um, yeah, yeah. So you researched animals. Yes. And then, because I, I was reading when I was looking into obviously coming to speak to you. Mm that you found that there was a place in Iceland, there was a penis museum mm. in Iceland. And yes. then was that where the germ of the idea started? Or? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, my friend had been to Iceland recently and I was telling her about my problem that I couldn't yeah. find any vagina research. Yeah. And she was like, oh, well, there's a penis museum in Iceland. Maybe there's right. a vagina museum that you can go explore, maybe have information for you. And I Googled it and I could only find like an online museum, but I couldn't find a bricks and mortar place, like a place that I could go visit in the same way that I could go visit the penis museum. Um, and I literally tweeted on a whim, mm -hmm. like, oh my God, we should totally make a vagina museum. Like there's a penis <laughs> museum, there's no vagina museum. And then I was like, oh no, wait, no, we should, we should do this. Mm. We actually should. Did but, it get um, momentum then from when you tweeted it? Did people engage, yeah. engage and be like, yeah, brilliant idea. Yeah, oh, yeah. There were people, people being like, oh my God, how can I help? I want to do this. Mm. I want to join in. Um, it's, yeah, people just immediately love the idea. And a lot of people were like, I can't believe there isn't one already. Where do you go then from being a researcher to, to launching this idea? Because mm. you took it to Edinburgh Fringe, is that right? As an yeah. exhibition? Is there a big space of time between the idea and taking it to the Fringe? or um, No, there actually no. really wasn't. I mean, it was maybe six months or so. Okay. Because I came up with the idea in March of 2017, and then we went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in August of 2017. Okay. And the reason that happened is because... I was put in contact with this woman who has a small pharma company and she was like, I want to give you £500 to help you with your idea. Just give me like a reason to do it. And I was like, oh, well, I'm going to the Fringe Festival anyway to do a show. Mm. So um, why don't I also bring some art with me and put up a little exhibition and I'll use the money for that. And that's what I did. Yeah. So the idea behind the museum is to educate people about the female reproductive system or is it... Is, it, is there more to it than that? What are you envisaging it becoming or being? So the ultimate goal is to destigmatize the gynecological anatomy. Mm. Um, and the reason I'm doing that in the form of a museum is because museums are used by cultures and societies to kind of signpost what they think is important. Mm -hmm. So, for example, we have museums to our famous authors. We've got, you know, the Charles Dickens Museum, we've got the Florence Nightingale Museum. Um, we have museums to important industries like the Railway Museum and TfL Museum. We've got museums to important pieces of art mm -hmm. and genres of art. So the fact that there's no vagina museum says something about what our society thinks about vaginas. And if we made one, we can say, hey, look, society is changing, where we actually um, want to celebrate our bodies. We think our bodies deserve rights that we haven't had before, and those rights yeah. need to be protected. And uh, yeah, so I think that's why I think the vagina museum needs to exist. So all forms of art, from paintings mm. to drawings to models to... Yeah, not just art and also like exhibitions about history, you okay. know, history of menstruation, the history of uh, sex work, the history of, um, you know, trans people, um, also like societal mm -hmm. stuff, exhibitions about the language that we use and the religious rights that there are, about the legislation that we have around it. It's going to be about everything. Okay. It's going to be about anything you could possibly imagine to do the vagina, it's going to be in there. So there's huge, huge scope. Yes, yeah, definitely. Are you interested in people approaching you who, are, who want to exhibit with your museum or how are you curating it or so the kind of long-term plan 
is at the moment we're making this small museum space in Camden Market and this is kind of like a pilot, it's like a proof of concept so that we can go to someone like, you know, the National Heritage Lottery Fund and be like, please give us £50 million so we can build the proper thing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so this time around we're going to be curating everything in the house but we're going to have like opportunities for artists and all of those opportunities will be freely available on our website okay. so if there's not something on our website it means there isn't an opportunity okay um, but what all that what that also means is we're democratizing the process because yeah, I'm, I'm very aware of how discriminatory the museum sector is mm. um, it's really difficult it's always about who you know and like mm. a lot of industries are like this so um, I'm trying to be as transparent as possible with how we engage with artists yeah and also, I mean, the word vagina itself, mm. some people balk at even saying it. And mm. you, were you were just alluding to the fact that museums are associated with a certain type of person, essentially. Yeah. Have you had problems with that? I mean, or is, has it been an issue for you? Or is it something that you're, that's part of your mission, for mm. want of a better word, is to just to make that more of an easy word to say? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this was a whole thing when we were registering with the Charity Commission, where... Our con like the person who was looking at our application was like, I think some people, like members of the public, will find your name offensive. Mm. Um, and I was like, Oh, what's wrong with the word museum? Yeah. So she was just like, How can you satisfy me that you've like thought about it? And I wrote her this like four page essay about how. Who is this? Sorry, this was. Um, the and the Charity Commission. I see. Right. So, like you said in your application, and then someone reads it and they decide whether, like, That's it's an individual right. who decides yeah. whether you That's get to quite be a charity. a process in itself, isn't it? The oh my god. Yeah. <gasps> it took us nine months. Wow. Yeah, I know people where it took like over a year. It's wow. a long, long process. Very okay. different in the UK. Okay. And and uh, yes, yeah, so I wrote this long essay about how the, the stigma of the word contributes to the stigma of the thing itself. Which is the whole point. Um, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And we can't advocate for destigmatization if we can't even use that name. And it's like, it's not even we're trying to call it like the Pussy Museum or something, you know? It's a statement of fact, yeah. isn't it? It's just the scientific word that we use in textbooks and things. So. And she was like, yeah, fine, great. I think she, I don't think she actually thought it was offensive. I think she just wanted mm. to be like, if anyone complains, we can show that we've done our due diligence, you know. So I've ticked um, that box, essentially. Yes. Yeah, right, exactly. Okay. Which I'm totally on board with. So people have kind of commented that it might be a bit of an offensive name. Yeah. But I think it's going to be fine because people see it and because it's so mm. striking that actually really works in my favor so like yeah. i'll go to conferences people will be like scanning the delegate list and then they'll spot my name and they're like what <gasps> i have to go talk to her piques their interest right yeah, yeah. exactly exactly and then and the great thing about it's like vagina museum is all the people who would have been put up by the word museum mm. because museums for a lot of people are like boring dusty places and they're like oh I don't want to go there yeah. but a vagina museum mm. people are like oh my god yeah you, I always remember like being a school kid and be like oh going around the museum yeah. great yeah. but yeah even I'm not sure whether are you thinking you'll be open to school kids or yeah 100% it, yeah brilliant I think it's really really important of us for us to be educating young people because so much of that stigma starts very early anyone who's had a child knows that like they know they have genitals yeah, very early on very curious. and you know they're, they're walking around with them and, and uh, with their skirts up against their shoulders and and when we say oh no don't don't do that and don't touch yourself and oh it's your nunny don't call it the proper word then we're communicating to them that this is a shameful part of the body mm -hmm. um, so I think the vagina medium has to be inclusive of young people that's great yeah 
So we kind of jumped around a little bit, but <laughs> to go from the fringe and then oh, yes. you then set up a crowdfunder. Is that right? You moved to, mm. oh, well, there was a pop-up in Brixton as well. Is that, is that correct? We did do a pop-up, but we, it was a traveling pop-up. Right. So it moved around. Yes. Right, okay. Yeah. So, the, so after we went from Edinburgh, we did a little, very small crowdfunder okay. um, just to kind of test the waters for a traveling exhibition called Is Your Vagina Normal? Okay. Spoiler. Yes, it is. <laughs> Um, Thank you. Yes, which is, which is like kind of the whole point of it yeah. because like everyone has, everyone has asked themselves like, are mm, my genitals normal? Yeah. And the thing is, is like, normal is the wrong word. It should not matter what it looks like. Because so. I suppose also that like, you don't sit and compare vaginas with your friend, do you? Even like your closest friends, you probably would. I know someone who does. But, oh, okay. Um, okay. That's because I know people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, yeah, that travelled around to music festivals, science museums. We went to a conference on disability, mm. um, which was really interesting in Paris. We've been to, yeah, we've taken that pop-up all sorts of places. It was really fun. We took it to Pride in London. Yeah. So, the crowdfunder, I mean, how are you, because obviously you need to eat mm-hmm. and you need to live, etc., etc. How are you funding yourself? Has it been... Yeah. Labour of love, or oh, yeah. Um, uh, my family frequently tell me that I don't look after myself enough. Oh. Um, so to start with, I was running a company at the same time. I did that until about ooh, about September of twenty seventeen, and then I decided to focus on the museum. So from then on, I was working. I was living off savings, yeah. and um, then I took up freelancing, and so that's how I funded my way. So that's what I'm doing at the moment, is I'm mostly just like freelancing on the side and working for the Vagina Museum for free till we can get to the point, which hopefully is going to be within the next few months, mm. um, where we can open a premises. And by opening a premises, we can have like trading income coming in and then I'll be able to pay myself. Has yeah. it been a massive learning experience for you as well? Because there's the charity side of it, it's setting up your own yeah. business, yeah. your own building. Has it been a, like a massive mind-blowing experience? Oh yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. I thought like, oh, I would learn about fun vagina things, which mm. I totally have. Yeah. But like, I've also had to learn about like, you know, alcohol licensing mm. in the UK and fire safety. And I've had to learn about business use of buildings and cash flow <laughs> spreadsheets. Oh, that sounds exciting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> People always ask me, like, oh, well, you know, starting up a vagina museum must be so much fun. And mm. I'm like, honey, it's just spreadsheets, like 75% of the time. <laughs> so how did you hear about the Women of the Future programme? And how did you get involved? Did someone nominate you? Mm. Did you nominate yourself? Um, so I hadn't heard of it until okay. um, a photographer that I know called Alex emailed me a link and was like I um, got involved in, in this program last year and I want to nominate you in the oh. arts and culture category very nice um, and I was like oh okay that sounds lovely I'm definitely not gonna get it mm. um, but I was like I might as well apply anyway because it just looked it looked like kind of very business focused it was yeah. very legit very prestigious and I was like there's no way in hell that they're going to like care about a vagina museum and then I got shortlisted and I was like oh my god and I remember sitting in the interview and it took ages for someone to say the word vagina for the first time and then when the when it was said you could feel like this kind of weight had weight lifted, lifted <laughs> off the whole the elephant had left yeah. the room yeah people were like oh it's okay to say it it's okay <laughs> 
um, and, uh, and then it was just amazing. I went to the award ceremony and I met all these like really cool people, people I'm still friends with today, people I've worked with. Um, Alex Fox is now on my advisory board, oh, amazing. for example. Um, and then I came highly commended in the category and I'm so pleased. And I remember, oh my God, I remember in the, <laughs> in the um, ceremony and the woman who was presenting, uh, hosting, was like, okay, so this, um, before we announce the winner, I'm going to announce, the, uh, we have a, someone who came highly commended, Florence Schechter of the Vagina Museum, and then she was about to launch a little explanation about who I was and why I was here, but the entire room started talking, and everyone was like, oh my God, did she say vagina? Yeah, everyone was like, I cannot believe that was just said in this like really posh, I'm all in my like fancy ball gown. And she had to tell everyone to be quiet. She was like, I know oh, the really? vagina is very interesting. Really? Did she get to do that? Yeah. She had to like tell everyone to shush because wow. she was like, you need to let me speak. <laughs> How did you feel about that reaction? I I thought it was really funny. Yeah. I mean, it's expected. I expect people to do You're used to it. Yeah. yeah. Completely yeah. used to it. Water off a duck's back. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's like, it's quite hard to embarrass me as well. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> There are quick fire questions that I ask mm-hmm. everybody that comes on this podcast. So what would you describe as your greatest success? It can be anything at all, oh, personal, gosh. professional. <laughs> um, the thing that comes to mind is um, not having had a breakdown so far. <laughs> <laughs> How you're still sane. Yes, okay. somehow still sane uh, because it's been a really intense process with a lot of setbacks I think the only way I've really survived it is by having a really good network of people to support me so that like if anything gets too hard I can like I can take a break and I can talk to other people and get advice and stuff so I know that's probably not like oh I won this fancy award or whatever but I think that's a success for me. What would be your advice to anyone facing a similar kind of situation even if it's just Mm. starting any business really? Um, I think the biggest thing for me was limiting the number of hours I worked because mm. there's this definite like narrative that if it's something you love you should want to do it 24-7 but the thing is even if you genuinely do want to work 24-7 you can't like you just physically can't and I got really burnt out um, and I had to take all of December 2017 off. I just was like, I'm just not working this month. I'm just not doing anything. And then after that, I was like, I'm gonna limit myself, make sure I did like, downloaded an app on my phone so I could track how many hours I was working. And then I was like, I'm not gonna work any more than 45. If I ever go over 45, I have to take like a day off. Mm, um, that's a great idea, yeah. And that definitely saved me. So that self-discipline, yeah. being self-employed, you still needed that? Oh yeah, 100%. And I'm still gonna, I'm always gonna need it mm. because yeah, like the Vagina Museum is always going to need work. There's never going to be a time where it can be like, yep, yeah, I am done for the day. <laughs> or everything's filed or whatever. It's, there's, it's always going to be something. So I have to always have that discipline to be like, I'm going home, mm. I'm going to watch some telly, <laughs> I'm going to go have a nice dinner. Would you do it again though? Yeah. Yeah. That says it all really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would just do it, I think, in a slightly more healthier way. <laughs> Your greatest failure? Oh, God. I really hate self-reflection, which is a terrible quality. But I think my uh, my greatest failure in general is is kind of I'm quite arrogant and I'm quite proud, and that leads to me going for things that I could have never achieved. Uh, is that a bad thing? 
people tell me it's a bad thing. Is it arrogance or confidence or is there a fine line? Yeah, it's very gendered as well, isn't mm. it? Um, I think if, I've often thought this, if I was a man doing a similar project, like I went into, I shan't name names, but I went into a very big organization. I can't say any more, otherwise it's gonna be super obvious. Okay. But they, um, they deal with museums one department deals with museums and they were there and I was like yeah I'm setting up a vagina museum how can you like how can we work together because we can work together and they just were scowling at me and really? I was so confused why their faces mm. were so so you know negative and it was clear that they just did not expect me to succeed at one point this woman who she used to work for the arts council she said, you know she had this new job and she was like you know opening a vagina museum is really hard and I was like... As if you hadn't even yeah. considered that. Oh, thank you. I know. I was like, I've only been doing this for a year. And I just hadn't noticed. Oh, it's been a breeze for me. Yeah. And they were talking like, you know, how multiple other people had come to them with, oh, a museum for tea and a museum for chocolate. And then nothing ever comes of it. Right. As though a museum of vaginas is like of the same importance mm. to the world as like, oh, a museum of tea. But you think if you'd have been a man, they yeah. would have taken you more seriously. Yeah, definitely. I think definitely. It's also it's not just being a woman, but it's also being a young woman. Mm. A lot of people assume I'm incompetent. A lot of people assume I'm, na- I'm naive. Yeah. Um, and that I'm just like a dreamer. And I'm just like, oh, I really want to do this one thing. And I don't realise what the implications are. And then I have to be like, oh, no, I actually do know what mm. employers' national insurance is. You don't have to remind me what that is. Wow. Like, the number of people who've been like, have you included auto-enrollment pensions in your spreadsheets? And I'm like, yes. How do you respond to that, you know, condescending manner? How do you, what's oh. your comeback? Is there a comeback? Is there yeah. a way to deal with it other than just taking it on the chin? Also, yeah. you, you pick your battles, don't you? So if you mm-hmm. sit there and shout and rage, yeah. it might not necessarily be the right audience to do that to you. But yeah. you still want to make your point, right? Yeah. That you're not going to stand for that. It's really frustrating because a lot of the time when people are condescending me, it's people who actually could really help me and people mm. I really need to have a good relationship with. So I often just like bite my tongue and I'm just like, oh yeah, no, I have done that, but thank you for reminding me. And then it's it chips away at me every time I do that. But more often than not, that's a person I need to have on my side yeah. and I don't want them... Uh, nothing's going to change. They're going to continue condescending me. And I guess the hope is that I'll just prove myself and they'll stop condescending me at some point. That's how you prove it wrong, right? It's yeah, yeah. going and doing it. Exactly, exactly. So I just bite my tongue. Because also I'm like, oh, also I realise they don't know what they're doing. So I could condescend them back, but I'm going to be the better person. Do you know what? I also think sometimes when people behave that way, it says far more about them than it has mm. anything to do with you whatsoever. Yeah. There are so many situations that I've found myself in where I think the issue here is yours. Yes. It's all come from your own subjectivity yeah. and you're reflecting that back on me. So sometimes you have to you have to be the bigger person and walk yeah. away. But other times when you actually need them to invest or buy into what you're talking about. Yeah. That's where it can be amazingly frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, definitely sometimes I've found it's the reason they're reminding me of these really simple things is because they didn't know about those simple things until everything went wrong. Mm. Um, like I had one time, it was actually a woman who told me this, who was employing me on a freelance basis and she was like, oh, you know you have to pay your own taxes <laughs> and and I was like yes mm-hmm. I've been freelancing for a few years and I've done my self-assessment mm. and she was like well I didn't and then six six years after I started HMRC came and did an audit of me and I was like what <laughs> how did you go that long so you're actually pretty dumb yeah yeah, yeah exactly 
So yeah, I think a lot of the time when people are being condescending to you, it's because they're thinking of themselves in yeah, your state. Yeah, they're trying to be helpful. Yeah, they really are trying to be helpful. Yeah. Okay, so the mantra of the woman of the future is kindness and collaboration, as I'm sure you know. What does that mean to you? Oh, it's it's so much. I really like the kindness bit because a lot of people talk about collaboration, especially when we're trying to support women because like, oh, we can help each other. The kindness thing I think is a lot of, isn't talked about as much because it's kind of very one-sided um, because the person you're giving to you know gets your kindness but you don't really get anything back and so from a business perspective people are like why would I bother doing that why would I bother being kind but I think in our modern society which is changing so much we have more of a responsibility to be ethical and to be moral than we ever have and I think the first step of doing that is being kind is being like, I'm going to stop expecting anything back, I'm going to stop feeling entitled and realise that the only way that as a society we're going to get better is if we help each other and not do it in this kind of like quid pro quo basis. Why do you think particularly women don't do that? They don't offer out freebies, for mm. want of a better word. Like you were saying, often with kindness, it's a gesture that you give and you don't receive anything back. And for yeah. a lot, for some people, I guess most people, they're like, well, why would I do that? Yeah. It needs to be reciprocal. Yeah. How do you feel about that? I, I think, I don't think that's true for everyone. I think some people are kind naturally and some people are kind naturally and it's because of the same circumstances. So I've seen women where they've been like, you know what, it's really hard being a woman in my workplace and I don't have the time and I don't have the resources to do something kind for you unless I get something back because otherwise I would have nothing left. Mm -hmm. And so that I totally understand. And then there are other people who are like, yeah, it's really hard. And now I'm in a position of privilege. I am going to give back that accepting anything in return because I don't need it. And then there are also some people who, are, who don't have the resources and yet still find a way to be kind. And that I will never understand. But oh my God, I so admire people like that. I, I don't know, they must never sleep at night because um, they're always being kind. But I think definitely when you're a woman, it can go either way because we're in such a difficult situation. Like a lot of men have just, this isn't true for all men. Hmm. Hashtag not all men. They kind of grow up in a world where they're entitled because they've got stuff without needing to do the same level of work that we do. Yeah. We like we don't get anything unless we ask. And they're kind of like taught to ask and it's not even thought of hmm. as like a thing. They just email people being like, oh, hey, can I get a job? And I would never dream of doing that. There's some kind of very poor statistic about graduates in that when between men and women as graduates in certain industries, I guess, when you go into graduate scholarships or apprenticeships and things like that, the men, are, I think it's a bonkers statistic, like 80 or 90% more likely to haggle at their mm. salary than women are, which is just... It always pains me, but then I think, yeah, I probably would have done the same. Yeah. I'm not sure I would have asked for more. I would have been thankful that I'd got the job. But then, like you've just said, there's a sense of almost entitlement or confidence or that they've not had to struggle, maybe, and they just think that they, they deserve that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I feel just grateful that I've got the job because I, it, I know how difficult it is. And yeah, and again, this is not completely gendered. Like my boyfriend, for example, you know, he's been made redundant a few times just because he had the bad luck of being in a company that was kind of going downhill a few, just like a few times in the row. And so he was working for this company that paid him absolute 
peanuts mm. and uh, and expected him to work loads and he was terrified of ever upsetting them of ever asking for a raise or anything because he was like what if I become redundant again I can't like I can't have that happen again I'm just I just need this job and I eventually convinced him to just apply for jobs anyway he was so scared of touching anything in case it all fell apart you know yeah. like he wouldn't even apply for jobs and then I convinced him to apply for a job and now he's at a new one and they pay him like 10k more than his previous job that's amazing um, and they treat him so much better so the fear was holding him back yeah 100% and it's so interesting because he talks about you know him growing up like working class and having a lot of family difficulties his dad died when he was very young and when I talk about like how difficult it is for women he's like oh I feel that as well Mm. you know like I talk about imposter syndrome and he's like oh my god I feel that and he's like but I'm not a woman so what's going on here and I'm like well it's just because you're also oppressed by society (laughs) yeah it's, it's Yeah, it is bonkers, isn't it? Because obviously I talk to my husband about everything that I do and other people that I speak to, and he, again, has imposter syndrome. Mm. And sometimes he just doesn't know how to express himself Mm. or to just... There is no outlet because he can't, like, stamp his feet and shout and cry or he doesn't feel like he can. Yeah. So there's this weird kind of... Not not balance, but between men and women. Men want to admit that they feel that way too, but they don't think they can because women seemingly go through... a plethora of other circumstances and situations that are remarkably hard yeah so it's weird isn't it yeah men not being able to express their emotions or just the whole hashtag me too yeah it's crazy yeah weird world in which we live oh (laughs) so talk we touched on fear just now is it Mm. is there anything that scares you um failure (laughs) (laughs) um is the big existential one because I mean, right now, if the Vagina Museum doesn't happen, I genuinely don't know what I'm going to do. Is there a plan B? No. I just have to make it happen. Like, the Vagina Museum has to exist. I've... It's not even like, oh, I've done so much and stuff, but, like, it genuinely... I really believe it needs to exist. And and if I don't make it, like, who is? And if somebody else does, can I really, like, trust them to do it in the vision that I want? For it to be this, like, you know, kind and inclusive place? And then if I couldn't do it, then yeah, what do I do? Do I go get a nine to five job working as a business development manager? I, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. It's refreshing to hear you speak like that. Because <laughs> very few people have such conviction. I mean, it, does, it doesn't sound like you, you believe in yourself too much. I don't know. I mean, you're not coming across like, this is going to happen. I'm sure it will. But the fact that you're going to stick at it and work your butt off to make it happen, that yeah. in itself is actually quite admirable. thank you I definitely come at it with the approach that because people often tell me like oh don't worry it's definitely gonna happen don't worry Mm. why are you so stressed and I'm like no you don't understand like it will only happen if I make it happen like it's not just gonna appear out of nowhere it will only happen by me going into the office every single day and doing all the things that need to be Mm. done I can't just be like oh yeah it's great because if I don't go to the office that day then it doesn't happen anymore Mm. it's very scary yeah so you know the work involved (laughs) yeah does anyone help you do you have any oh yeah 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 definitely Um, at the moment most of it rests on my shoulders uh, because I'm the only person who can kind of give the most time to it so I've got a board of trustees and I've got uh, volunteers but they kind of help out ad hoc okay but hopefully soon I'm going to be hiring my first members of staff exciting oh my god it's going to be the best (laughs) I'm I'm so excited to be a boss I'm going to be like aggressively kind I'm going to be like you don't take a one hour lunch break (laughs) I swear get out of here (laughs) go to Pret exactly go to the park get some fresh air (laughs) (laughs) yeah and um because like i know how much 
uh, you know, how much I need that. And so I think when I have mem- members of staff, it's going to be so much better because it means if I don't go into the office that day, mm. I know everything doesn't grind to a halt. I know people will still be making it happen. That's the thing I think I'm most looking forward to. See, that put a smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Let's work for me. That's how I see it. What's left on your to-do list? Is it incredibly long? I suppose it's not, not just with the Vagina yeah. Museum, like for yourself as mm. well. So. Oh gosh. I mean, like, long term, the Vagina Museum is a huge project and the ultimate goal is to make a permanent museum with a huge, you know, permanent collection that's encyclopedic of the vagina, like, you know, everything we were talking about from science and culture and history, and that's a huge job. And I've done my research because when I first started this project, I wanted to know what path I was setting out for myself. And I researched other similar sized museums, and I estimate it will take us about 15 years from the point at which we start that bit of the project. Okay. Because it's finding a site big enough and then either repurposing a building or building an entirely new one and then finding the collection which will take years you know accumulating all those objects and then designing it into an exhibition and then it's like a humongous job so yeah 10 to 15 years is where I estimate it I may or may not be the director at that point because I'm not the right person for that I'm kind of the person to get it growing to get it rolling and then we'll as a trust, then I'll c- become just a trustee. Okay. So that's that's quite magnanimous of you to kind of just <laughs> set it all up and then be like, there you go, have my baby. Yeah. Look it's, after um, it, please. Yeah, it's going to be very hard, but it's it's actually a rule uh, because the charity commission won't let you be a paid employee of a charity and the trustee without special permission. Oh, and you have to like give really good proof of why you should be both. Like, okay. you have to have a really good reason. And my reason was, like, no one else is going to do it for free. <laughs> That's a good reason. Um, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, basically, we kind of agreed that as soon as the museum is out of startup phase, then I have to give the job... Either I have to stop being a trustee or I have to give the job to somebody who actually knows what they're doing. And I'd rather give it to somebody who knows what they're doing yeah. so that it can be the best that it can be. And I'll still be a trustee, so I can still like make decisions, and I don't have to completely divorce myself from it. But after that point, I'm going to have to like go find a new job, and I don't know what the next stage of my life will be after that. I think I'm just going to let it happen. Something I learned very early on when I was rejected from all those medical schools was that it was the truth of an idiom in Ashkenazi culture, and it goes, "Man plans, God laughs." <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of my mantra. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes. Um, do so. you? I mean, obviously, haven't spoken to you for the past twenty minutes. Mm. Do you always plan big? Do you always go big? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And it's it's a lot of people see it as a fault of mine. I see it as a strength because I think it's just more fun that way. Yeah, I want to have an impact on the whole world. I want to be part of something. I want to be part of something bigger than myself. I want to affect people's lives. And I don't know, maybe that's very self-centered of me. Oh. I don't know. But I just I just don't think I would enjoy my life as much. I don't think I'd get as much satisfaction from my life if I was working on a small scale. Was it Oscar Wilde said, shoot for the moon. If you miss it, you'll land amongst the stars. Mm. Yes. Yeah. I like that. That's, that's definitely how I live. Thank you, Florence. It's been a pleasure. (laughs) I've been enlightened in so many ways. Oh, I'm glad. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Women of the Future podcast. If you enjoyed it, please hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a rating and review? You know you want to. 
For more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.